Most interior designers dream of finding an affluent client, but finding them and winning them over can often be difficult. Today's podcast guest is Chris Ramey, president of the Home Trust and of Affluent Insights. Both businesses are tailored towards designers and affluent clients and making sure that both parties can get the most out of a project. On this episode, Chris discusses marketing, positioning, and how to create a feeling of luxury that's different than designing from other kinds of homes. Chris is the president of Affluent Insights and the Home Trust International, and he is the most highly regarded and most often quoted authority on best business practices to serve the affluent. And uh, I think we all can use as much information on that as we can. That includes classic luxury marketing, service and experience, branding and culture, loyalty, sales, and marketing strategies and tactics. I think we could probably talk for a year and not cover all the things that you know and could share with everybody. So that's a little bit of his background. And there are a couple of other organizations you're involved with, and I would love for you to share some of those with us rather than me just talking about you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. The National Speakers Associations, you know, it's a big part of my business. I'm involved with the, um, just joined actually, the Institute of Classical, a classic architecture and art, which Great. we may get to from many of you. Who, and Private Service Alliance, I sit on the board there. Mm-hmm. I'm very involved with building that organization. It's an organization of estate managers, butlers, uh, private chefs, and those in private service. Mm. The other thing that I thought was really great, and I wanted to mention this, is that you started your first retail business at 28 years old. That's pretty impressive. And grew that to a multi-million dollar business and sold it at 40. That is amazing. So what was that experience like? I had uh, entered the flooring business um, totally serendipitously. I was sitting in my fraternity house and uh, I, uh, Macy's had hired me and they wanted to know what department I wanted to be in. And my immediate thought was, well, what's the thing you sell? So I asked to be an assistant buyer in jewelry. She said, it's a lease department. So I said, what's the next most expensive thing you sell? And she said, floor coverings. And that's how I got in the floor covering business where I spent the next you know, 20 some years of my business. And I still write a column for the first business publication uh, in the flooring business, and I have a lot of clients in flooring, but it's a small part of what I do. That's so interesting. When I graduated from college the first time, I went to work for Armstrong World Industries in the carpet mm-hmm. division. So mm-hmm. that was my background. So I had, <laughs> isn't that funny? So we crossed paths, and you must have had a lot of Penn Staters uh, in your class with you there. Probably did. We did. And I was, I think, the third person in the division for that company that was a female. So that was uh, a few years back. <laughs> Good for you. Good oh, for Armstrong. It was an interesting, uh, the great company. Really, really great company. Good. All right. Good. So I'd love to dive in. You had this on your website, and I loved this statement. You said, luxury is a business model that enchants your best prospects and drives your profitability. Is um, I, I think that's a great tagline. And so talk to me a little bit about that. Talk to me about what luxury as a business model looks like to you. Sure. Uh, we have on uh, one of our websites, which is Precise Luxury Marketing, a comparison of luxury as a business model and design as a business model. Mm-hmm. And it's fundamentally different. Uh, so would anyone here argue that design is inclusive? 
design is inclusive. It's design is for everybody. Uh, luxury is not. Luxury is exclusive. It is only for the few. And uh, if you're not comfortable with that, then uh, design is comparative. Designers compare the different products, different designs all the time. Uh, but luxury is superlative. I, I speak a lot to design groups. And one of the things I like to ask is, uh, what what do you do? What uh, what compels designers, to, excuse me, consumers to hire you? And they say, well, I do what the customer wants. Well, if you do what the customer wants, then they can hire an intern. You bring something to the table. I think in many cases, designers are too humble to probably realize that. But in luxury, you bring something to the table. It's superlative, and you bring a point of view that's extremely important. Uh, luxury is about prestige. Uh, design kind of parody. Uh, it's we're all designers. We're all in this together. No, we're not. Luxury is a kind. Uh, design sells services and objects. By the way, I could go on for hours on the subject. Design sells services and, and objects. But luxury creates brand desire. Because if you take away anything that anybody else can have, but your brand, your brand is uniquely yours. So luxury is about creating desire for your brand. And then you compete with no one. Um, luxury marketing is outbound. It's going directly to high net worth consumer. Uh, design is these days often social media. It's inbound, hoping somebody finds you. Uh, design generally attracts the top 10% who need a buddy to help them. Luxury, because of your brand, attracts the top 1% that um, respects who you are, what you do, I've, has hired designers before, and they let you go. Design often thinks local, luxury is global. Many, probably all of our clients are doing a lot of business outside their market. Design is often value engineered. By the way, I'm sharing these things and I hope that some of you will object to them because um, sometimes they're meant to be objected to. <laughs> um, but, but design is often value engineered. What can I do to bring the price down? Luxury is always finest quality. It's the best of the best. Mm -hmm. um, Luxury is classic and demonstrates good taste. It's not about trends. You'll find the finest, perhaps most famous designers have a look, an aesthetic, uh, and it is not perishable. You see that with architecture a lot, don't you? Um, luxury leads and enchants the client uh, with a unique point of view. Uh, design is not always that way because again, it's value engineered. Design is lower margin because you're hitting price points. Luxury is higher margin. Uh, Cost trumps design um, because you often have budgets. Um, but in luxury, brand validates cost because your brand is so powerful that it, this is what it costs. Um, friend of a friend of mine in San Francisco recently, I did a project and it was X, thousands and thousands of dollars. And the client objected, talked to me about it, but the designer got their price because brand trumped price. Uh, the, 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 you know, if you bring this down the funnel, ultimately, if your brand is so powerful that you've invested it in such a way that people have brand desire, you have no competition. Uh, people will hire you for who you are. And you see that all the luxury brands like Hermes and, uh, uh the list goes on Cartier, Chanel. You know, you know, you buy a Hermes bag, you know, there's no question. Am I buying a Hermes bag or, uh, Cohan? That doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. um, because of the desire for the product. So that hopefully 
these strategies will help you build your brand in such a way that one, you're well known, and and two, people desire to do business with you and and only. I want to dive into some of the things that I was reading as on your different websites, and Uh-oh. I think. <laughs> there you go. Um, how does a designer break into that ultra affluent luxury market? And please define the level of what high net worth is, because everyone has a different view of what high net worth is. Sure. Uh, we follow the research companies. Basically, mm-hmm. uh, generally, ultra high net worth means you have $30 million net worth and above. And okay. then high net worth means $6 million to $30 million. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, that's the top 1%. Right. Okay. You have Hannah's, which you see a lot of. These are the successful businessmen and women uh, who have net worth of one to five million. But you know, five million is not that wealthy anymore. Uh, then you can come down to a lower level, which is the ultra affluent, which is uh, income above 250. And then you have the Henry's, which you hear a lot about. Henry stands for high earner, not rich yet. Mm-hmm. And those are the individuals who make 100000 to 250000 Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem with a Henry is you can't tell the difference between a Henry and a Tina. And a Tina is two incomes, but never affluent. So it, it's it, it's more difficult. Yet a lot of particularly those who serve um, a mass, more mass brand, focus on the Henrys. Mm-hmm. Uh, the best book on the Henrys is written by my consulting partner, Pam Danziger, who's a very close personal friend as well as a business partner. I certainly recommend it. But that's the base. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, my, my wife and I have been looking for a home recently. And not a cheap home, but I, I, I would, I'm surprised by how few homes have designers. Even at the $2 million level, these are not designed by designers. So, you know, you really have to look at the high net worth, $6 million and above, and th- those are your best prospects. Mm-hmm. And there are some places like, you know, San Francisco, where my daughter lives, that are just crazy because, you know, a two-bedroom home could be half, you know, 500 Excuse me, five million dollars. So it's every market is different. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what is the best way to break into that market or get to that higher level? Because a lot of people are serving uh, maybe some of the the Hannas and the ultra affluents, and maybe not really hitting all of those really top one percent. Um, those two groups. So talk about that a little bit. Sure. Well, the, the first is you have to move to wealth market. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's it's to serve the affluent if you're not near by them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so go to San Francisco, go to New York, go to DC, go to places where they are. The second thing is if you're new, you know, go work for a design firm that serves them. Uh, they will be the best. Those on the call, you are the best teachers of how to do it. Not that you want to teach someone to compete with you, but you get it. Um, more personally, get involved with philanthropies. Study art and etiquette. Uh, style, speaking, and communication. Uh, if, if you don't communicate well, it's very difficult to serve the affluent. Uh, and, and lastly, and, and there's a lot of ways, but, but travel to be as worldly and sophisticated as the clients you deserve, you want to serve. Just get it. You know, some people get it, some people don't. I, I was on a call last week, a panel discussion, perhaps some of you who were in San Francisco, it's Lux SF, Alf Nusifor, a dear friend of mine. And the topic was how to be a connoisseur. And, and, and it, it takes study. It, it, developing that sixth sense, which every good designer has, takes, uh, and it takes maturity. It takes wisdom. And 
That's not something you just pick up on the street. No. <laughs> you don't get that degree in college. You need no, you do not. You do not. Okay. So let's dive into, and I know you've talked about this uh, multiple times in the recent past, and I'd love to hear more about this. What are the pillars of luxury and how can they impact uh, a design business? Sure. They're heritage, narrative, provenance, brand sanctity, being discreet, uh, reinforcing sophistication and grace, yes. uh, having a unique point of view, don't be like others, the uh, highest non-negotiable uh, standards of quality and preservation of artisanship and craftsmanship. Mm. All right. And as far as these pillars of luxury, why don't you maybe dive into that a little bit and describe each one just briefly, just uh, give us a little background sure. about how you define those. Sure. I'll start with heritage. Are you specifying products from places that are historically luxury? Mm -hmm. uh, so I, 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 uh, I had a builder who was a friend of mine, and he really wanted to join the home trust. And um, But it, during our lunch, he proceeded to tell me how he moved a client from a stone from Italy to a stone from Central America because it saved him money. And, and that's a very non-luxury thing to do. Because the heritage from whence the product comes, it's uh, the provenance where from whence the product comes is very important. Uh, it, it's understanding those nuances and how they're different. Remember, a home is is a uh, you make a home by having lots of stories in it, whether it's the family or the products in it. Uh, so, so build a home of stories. Uh, a narrative. Your brands have a narrative. What is your background? What what makes you special and so qualified to do this? You know, not everybody's lucky enough to have an Italian last name. Uh, so, for, where did your family come from? What, what's the background? Why why do you understand it? How did you? How long did you study in Europe? Um, that that's the narrative that you create. You know, Louis Cartier has a narrative. Vuitton has a narrative. Hermes has a narrative, and all of them are. Theoretically real, we we don't know that because it's a couple hundred years later. But you know, create that narrative so there's a story behind you. Uh, brand sanctity. Do you manage where your brand is found? I can't tell you how many. I, it's a lot. But when I see something on on house, and I'm not being critical, house they do a great job. Uh, but what they do, but so does Coles. And there's a reason why Vuitton doesn't sell their products or their brand in Kohl's. I, so you're identified by the branch with whom you associate. And you have to manage that very, very, very carefully. Um, we, we, my wife and I went to college with a pretty good designer uh, in, in Pittsburgh. She was my wife's sorority sister. But her website's a house website. I just can't get there. Mm -hmm. It's inconsistent with who we are. Um, be discreet, uh, be private. Uh, discreet isn't the same thing as not being seen. You want to be known and you want to be seen in the right places, but you want to be discreet too. Uh, your behaviors have to mirror the behaviors of your most sophisticated client. Um, reinf reinforce grace. Uh, grace is very important. Be you see it when you know it. I on my panel last week, I, one of the people who sat on it was a gentleman by the name of Greg Lynn. Uh, Greg Lynn is probably the number one realtor in San Francisco. 
And uh, Greg complimented every one of the panelists at least once or twice during the panel discussion. He was humble. I'll tell you a funny story. A European car brand uh, who was used to be my client, the president uh, of the U.S., North America, called me one day and said, I want you to go to this store. I'm getting bad reports from them. I said, sure, happy to do that. So I, I went down to Lauderdale, walked in the store um, at the request of the president because he was a member of my group. And um, I couldn't get anybody to talk to me. I stand, stood in the uh, middle of the showroom for 15 minutes and no one talked to me. And I thought, how ironic that the, the president of this company, which you know the brand, takes my calls, but I can't get a salesman to talk to me. The president understood that you serve high net worth individuals. Uh, the salespeople still had this sense of entitlement, but entitlement today is dead and no one is entitled. We serve these clients. Um, highest non-negotiable standards of quality. Yeah, question, do you dumb down what you, your design in order to hit a price point or do you not include it? It's something that you all have to, I'm sure you're faced with all the time, but you have to stand up for the quality of the product. And then preservation of artisanship. We should all be looking to preserve craftsmanship and artisanship. Uh, these are, are the individuals that um, are the backbone of, of luxury. If, if you were to ask for a hard object-driven definition of luxury, it, um, it's things that are handmade. And um, we can't lose that. That's great. I think those are very helpful descriptions. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about um, what the affluent are looking for today in terms of maybe the maybe some brand touch points besides just these particular areas that to me are, I think, well de uh, described. But if they are looking for someone today, are there specific things that our listeners can start working on on their brand? Sure. One of my favorite keynotes is titled, People Don't Buy What You Think You're Selling. Mm -hmm. And we so often get hung up that we're selling design, but that's not what the affluent are buying. It's very different for them. And I, I'm going to, um, I didn't know who's going to be on the call, although I got a sneak peek that Lisa Lavetta was going to be on this call. So I went to Lisa's website and I've met Lisa. She's delightful and an extraordinary designer. Her first image is really a perfect image. It's sculptural when you go to her website, which I think is Lisa Lovetto Design. Is that correct, Lisa? It's www.lovettodesign.com. Thank, Thank you, Lisa. Thank I apologize you. for uh, giving the wrong email address. <laughs> so anyway, this first image on her website has this very sculptural lighting, which and then it matches the base of the table. Clearly custom. The second thing she does is she has a Steinway piano. Now, if you know Steinway, and they've been my client for 10 years, you'll automatically know it's a Steinway. So she hits both pieces and saying, forget the design. She tells an ultra high net worth individual that I serve others of your ilk. And that's why that's such a powerful image. I wish you didn't go away so quick. I had to keep going back to it. <laughs> but it is a gorgeous image, Lisa. Congratulations on that. So, you know, those are the type of things. What are they looking for? Um, the, the promise of sophistication. 
they're not design experts. They don't celebrate design like we do. They want to know that you serve others of their ilk. And that's really important. Uh, I, I had to drop just the nicest people in the world who were my client. It was a hardwood company. Uh, in this one market, they serve designers, but in other markets, they don't. And their images were so middle market, I couldn't have them on my site. I had to drop it. You, had, I lost money on that. And maybe a friend, because the person who manages her is just delightful, but she got it. So all of these things, the other things in an image show you what the picture is, tell you more about you. So you, you look at an image, is the boat in the background a super yacht or is it a little boat? Is the house in the back small or is it large? Because the room may be gorgeous, but it's a middle market. These are things that they will relate to. So you have to manage those. And with Photoshop, you can. Um, the promise of privacy. Uh, what can you do to prove that you secure their privacy? Uh, you remember, Gail, when we were in uh, High Point, we talked about a transaction on your contact list. Mm -hmm. uh, are, do you say if you complete this form, you'll send a non-disclosure to them within X period of time? That's something they will expect. Why not give it to them up front? It tells them that you're used to doing business with other high net and ultra high net individuals. It's these little clues that tell people who you are. And uh, they see it. You just have to manage your sites really well. Now, I don't know many designers who get leads from their websites like they should. And, and that's a major issue for us because we're working. We can get high net worth individuals to your website. Absolutely, positively. Can we get them to call you? Why does it stop at your website? You know, that that's the challenge, right? Um, it's funny. I just got an email less than an hour or so from a client, not excuse me, from someone who's not a client. But in the uh, sub headline, he referred to his design as practical. Why does someone, why practical? You know, no one hires a designer to be practical. That's, you know, assumed when they hire you, you're not going to be nuts. But, you know, you hit the words that are important to them, which include privacy, which includes sophistication. Um, the wealthier someone is, the less they're looking for a collaboration. So when you start talking about a collaborative effort, like, whoa, you know, we're not here to collaborate. We're here to hire you to do this. Get in and get out and let us make the decisions. It's, you know, they're not looking for a friend. They're looking for you to do their work. Um, no different than the landscape architect or the architect or the landscaper. It's, you know, we, we're there to serve them. The, um, think in terms of helping them understand how to live abundantly. The Harrison Group, going back 10 years or so ago, did research and they identified 500 different topics that the affluent need to learn to live a life of abundance. Mm. They haven't learned them all. How do you dissect these pieces? Now, this is very close to connoisseurship. Mm. How do you fascinate and enchant them in such a way that they can only do business with you? Uh, another negative, don't use the word experience. Now, that should be implicit in your brand. If you want to use a word, use the word atmosphere, because you're going to create an atmosphere 
that's so extraordinary for them uh, that they can't imagine doing business with anybody else. Wow, those are really terrific. So let's take it a step further and let's talk about how the affluent define value because that is so hard to describe and everyone has an opinion on that. So I'd love to hear yours. Sure. Opinion 2020. <laughs> what I'd ask you to remind yourself is value is generally perceived by us as money. Mm -hmm. But the affluent have more money than they have time. And so time becomes currency. And you have to be so respectful of their time and prove your efficiency or demonstrate your efficiencies. They will appreciate that. Uh, they, you know, we talk about shopping trips. If you have that much money, you don't have time for a shopping trip. Maybe the kids are out of the house. Maybe they, they want to do that, but by and large, not so much. Mm. Now, that doesn't mean it's a license to misuse their money. In fact, if there's one commonality amongst the affluence, it is that they are aggressive savers of money just by definition. Mm -hmm. But it does mean if you're an agent for them instead of an agent for your resources, you can get in and out, even though they're bigger projects, faster than perhaps others who are trying to build this close relationship. When in fact, you should be creating a trust. Mm, interesting. And in terms of service, and we are a service industry. And if we look at ourselves as service providers that happen to be doing design services, what is it that they are specifically looking for? Uh, I think you've given some pretty good hints in the first part in particular, where they're looking for something that is unique for sure. And something that is, uh, to me, probably not a statement that is an expression necessarily of the client's personal thoughts at that moment of what design is, but they're looking for an opinion from the designer who's an expert. At least that would be something that I would think that they would be looking for. But correct me if I'm not uh, right mm -hmm. on that. No, I, I, I think you are right. But you know, it's a promise, one, they trust you, and two, it's a promise of sophistication, mm -hmm. that you're going to give them a home centered around what they love and feel comfortable in, uh, but it'll be as sophisticated as their most sophisticated friend. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what are some of the best ways or maybe unique ways that our designers can reach out to the affluent if they haven't been in this market? I think you mentioned briefly just being involved in charity, certainly being a part of that. And I'm sure some of the other activities uh, that you could recommend would be very helpful. Sure. Well, you know, luxury brands are marketers. You can't mm -hmm. create desire for your brand if you don't advertise. Mm -hmm. And with digital marketing today, you can target the wealthiest people in your community very, very, very simply mm -hmm. and, and get your brand in front of them. Uh, it's, you know, I have no idea what the Kardashians do, but I sure see them. So they must be good at it. And you, you want to do the same thing. Um, that's, you know, I, 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 you know, unfortunately, we're in an industry that's been supported by uh, magazines forever. But magazines as an important vehicle a communicator is dissipating. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not what it used to be. So, um, you know, 
go find a satellite marketer, identify your best prospect and go after them. Okay. And what do you mean by go after them? Well, I'll give you an example. Uh, one of the wealthiest people in the world, um, let me rephrase this, one of my clients who found out one of the wealthiest people in the world from a realtor was looking for property in their market. So we, he has a property in uh, DC, Seattle, and Beverly Hills. So we use satellites to introduce the brand to everybody who walked in any of his three homes. He also had a home and has a home in New York City, could do anything with it because satellites can't do anything where there's a high rise. So um, anyway, uh, we found out more about it. He found out more about it. And when I asked him last time, I said, what happened with a client? And his comment was, I have a non-disclosure. I can't tell you anything. So here's a situation where we use satellites. Uh, we targeted their home, the family's homes, and our client got a very big client. Okay. Um, but you can target people. I, we do some really cool stuff, and I'm not here to shamelessly promote myself, but you can target people by uh, net worth. You can target them by apps on their phone. You can target them all different types of ways uh, if, if you know who they are. So, um, you know, one of the things, for example, is find someone who will target homes listed for sale. We have a client who just targets homes that are $15 million and above. Uh, and anybody who walks into those homes, assumably looking for um, a new client, uh, looking for a new home, will get to see that designer's ads. There are ways you can do this that are affordable and easy to, to do. So when we talk about the unique way to get a new client, that's it. I think you're, it's so interesting. I spent um, a good couple of weeks reading several books about the using digital marketing in a different way. And what I'm hearing from you is pretty much the same thing, that digital marketing is definitely the direction that a lot of people should be thinking about today, because it's not just doing social media, but it's really understanding how to find the right people, how to target those people that you want to serve. But I think that you also made a really good point at the very beginning, which is to make sure that your brand aligns with the vision of what that person is looking for. So I'd like to ask you a question that I didn't tell you in advance I was gonna ask, which is how do you know whether you, your brand is going to attract someone or not at, at that very high level? And what are some of the things that someone could do to start working toward that level if they're not there yet? So those, it's kind of a compound question. Okay, and I'm, I'm sure I'll forget one of them. Okay, you know, no problem. <laughs> you know, we, we look at it as repetitive clients. Mm -hmm. uh, we look at it as uh, predictive clients. So if you target a home that's listed for sale, you're hitting a predictive client. If you target someone who flies net jets and has a $10 million net worth, you're targeting someone who probably has multiple homes. And, you know, we, we think a net worth close to 90 million or more. Mm -hmm. So these are the ultimate uh, ultra high net worth individuals. If you target a country club, you're building your brand within a community. Uh, it, it really depends upon um, your objectives as a, uh, as a, uh, as a business. Uh, how do you know if um, your values align with them? You, you don't really, although you can also target 
Um, let, let's say you're a big fan of uh, Northern Trust and you have investments with Northern Trust. Well, you can target uh, those who have a Northern Trust app on their phone. Uh, I have a client who's a Republican. She only targets Republicans uh, who have a net worth of $10 million and above. And um, she leads with a Ronald Reagan quote. Uh, mm. So find who your audience is. And it, I, look, I normally say don't get political, but in this case, she's going, you know, full frontal, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, identify your best prospect. Uh, we have another client who just targets, they're in the organic bed business. They just target Tesla drivers. Mm. So find the hobbies, find the passions of these individuals, and then target them with a, you know, a, a messaging that's akin to that. Interesting. Okay, so going back to the other question, which is, how do you know if your work really would be the type of work that would attract those highly affluent people? And that's not something that maybe most of us would, ne would know whether that would be the kind of work or the level of work that that person might like. And I know it's hard to know what that would be, but if that were a service you offered, I would have a feeling you would have a lot of people wanting to sign up and say, what do I need to be start working toward if I'm not there yet and I want to serve that market? Well, you know, we all have a cognitive bias mm -hmm. and we all think our work is really good. And, and Gail, just from knowing you the little that I do, you only take individuals whose work is really good. Uh, but you can tell by who retains you, who is your best prospect. Now, there's a whole business out there that uh, in fact, I'm, one of my clients has paid $12,000 to match uh, hobbies and uh, boards with their current client base. So can you find a like client? And, and it's modestly successful. That's why people who love Teslas are advertising to other Tesla drivers. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's real. I think you can see who hires you to know to whom you're most attractive. But you know, cognitive bias is one of the most damaging things out there because what we see isn't necessarily what others see. Mm -hmm. So I, back when I ran the Luxury Marketing Council, one of the premier brands in the business uh, once told a group of us that they believed their brand awareness, just awareness, was only 50% of those who had financial capacity. So... It, it's you have to constantly be in front of these individuals because until they really need you, they don't see you. Mm -hmm. uh, th there's a great term out there. It's called reflection. And I read about it, I read this many years ago. I just like, wow, there's like a slap across my face. And that was until you're looking for something, you don't see things. Mm -hmm. And the great example of that is a tire store. Mm -hmm. uh, I recently needed to buy tires. Man, where the hell do I go for tires? And then all of a sudden, I saw them every block, a different tire store. So you need to get ahead of that. And that's what great digital marketing does. Mm -hmm. And because we're in the luxury space, you're only looking for the top 1%. So mm -hmm. it is, you know, go out and grab that top 1%. Any of you can do that in your market. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and just stay in front of them. And, and never forget your servant. And uh, try to match values with... Um, with your website. 
Excellent. I have a couple of questions from the um, group. And the first okay. one is, what is a satellite marketer? A, a satellite marketer is someone, and this is, thank you, that was a setup. Whoever said that, I owe you one. Um, <laughs> a, we use satellites to beam down and, you know, you never know where your cell phone is when you need it, right? It beams down and tags the phones of people inside whatever location. Now, we can do it. You want a country club? You can do that. Um, you want a uh, apps? We can do that. You want to buy third-party data? We know who has a $10 million net worth and who doesn't. So it's basically using satellites, beam down, and target whatever location you want, and that's satellite marketing. Mm, interesting. So a couple of other questions, and I think I know one of the answers for this. Uh, Georgia is asking, do you have specific company names of uh, digital marketers? And I would say that you you also offer digital marketing, correct? It's what we do. Okay. So honestly, I think that you all should be talking to him afterwards if you're interested in having conversation. Um, and I specifically wanted Chris on here because I felt like for many of you, this is the direction most of you need to go is a higher level of marketing than you've done in the past. So I would really encourage you to reach out to Chris and I'll have him give his contact information toward the end and we'll post that. But um, that's yeah, what thank, I thank you. That was an unexpected endorsement. I oh, of course. No problem. Okay. And then George asks, how does how do you feel about Instagram for marketing? One of my favorite design professionals in the world is Anne Fairfax and mm. uh, her husband, Richard Sammons. They're extraordinary architects based in New York and Palm Beach and very good clients of ours. She said something to me that really stuck in my bones. I, we don't endorse, I can't bring anything to you with social media, but she said her website is a monologue. Instagram is a dialogue. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was a really nice way to put it because they do keep their Instagram fresh. So I, I will not say anything bad about Instagram. Still, you need to be found on Instagram. So, you know, that's a challenge too. But you know, that's that's how I feel about Instagram. Mm. Interesting. All right. And um, as far as I think some of the other questions that we uh, that I sent to you ahead of time were ways that you can best serve the affluent. And is there anything in particular that you would like to bring up about that? Yeah, I, we use the term connoisseurship. Mm -hmm. And our second mission is to accelerate the rise of connoisseurship. And, and what that means for all of you when you serve the affluent is you don't sell them, you fascinate and enchant them. And you do that by being a connoisseur of the category. And, and that's having that sixth sense to understand something that they probably don't. And when you do that, you enchant them. Uh, it also gives meaning to what you specify. Uh, Susan Ferrier is a designer based out of Atlanta. And she does a really good job of that. Most of her image has, and most of her images have something fascinating in them. Um, I referenced Lisa Lovetto's uh, image 
the sculptural lighting was unlike anything I've ever seen. That was fascinating to me. And it told me a lot about her. And I didn't need to go any further into her website. But find those things that demonstrate you're a connoisseur, that you see things and do things that they wouldn't otherwise see or do. And you know, I think that's, that, that's a big part of elevating yourself in the eyes of the affluent. Another one is artification. Now, this is a term that traditional and classic luxury brands use. And what it means is the closer you move your objects or products to art, the less functional it has to be and the higher your margins. So if you practice artification, it means much like that, I'll call it a chandelier or a sculpture, um, it's beyond price. It, it is, it's art. So how do you, how do you do that? The more you're into specs, the, the less you're into art, the more price becomes important. Mm -hmm. And you want it to be so important that they can't live without it regardless of the price. I love that. So good. Another mention that, or something that you mentioned um, prior to this is that tech savvy is very important to this market segment. So can you share with me what you mean by that? Sure. It's 2022 and your company is a tech firm, whether you know it or not, because you compete online, even if you don't transact online. Mm -hmm. And so it's not the number of great images you have. It's what the meaning of the images are. And so you want to manage that because it's your brand very, very, very carefully. My gut is, remember, the client doesn't have a lot of time, but they have a lot of money. Most design firms probably show twice or three times as many images as they need to. Remember, if privacy is important to this client, you may think you're showing off your design, but if it's a peer, they may feel like a voyeur because you're showing too much. So think in terms of managing their time on your website and the discipline of that. Interesting, okay, very good. Are there By the way, I, no one's disagreeing with me, so I, I'd love to hear, have, have conversations on that. Okay, let's open it up. I bet there are a few people on here that would have some questions. George, please unmute. Well, so thank you, Christopher. Um, so, you know, obviously, when we think of websites, and I think I kind of know the answer. So let me ask my question and tell you what I think the answer is. And then you can correct me. Is that obviously, you want to show the main rooms and the kitchen and, you know, all that stuff to sell what you can do. But of course, now listening to you, I feel like the answer is, well, they don't that like the assumption is that you can design a great kitchen. You don't necessarily have to show the, the kitchen, right? So, but you know, like, like we're sort of taught to sh show like six or seven, you know, six or seven photos from a project, but are you saying that we narrow it down to two or three? Imagine you're short on time, long on money. You only have a few minutes to look at how many designers, George, in San Francisco? Oh. Thousands. <laughs> yeah. Thousands. Yeah. It only takes one image for you to be voted off the island. Mm -hmm. So you want to be part of their competitive set. 
if you show something that isn't cool, it doesn't fascinate or doesn't enchant for whatever reason, then you're no longer relevant to them. Uh, Someone takes 10 pictures of you. How many are good? Zero. <laughs> Maybe. I'm sure it's more than zero, but I bet it's not 10. Right. So it is, it is that discipline um, which will serve you well. Uh, yes, show a kitchen, but so for example, um, we would never show a kitchen uh, that wasn't a Sub-Zero or Mila or a, a brand that was identified as, as, as luxury. And I realize there's some others, but I won't, you won't see a monogram on my website right? Uh, because that would be inconsistent with who we are. Yeah. So, you know, we think about all these different clues as to who we are and, and you do too. So if it looks, ah, there's a term, I, I won't use it because it's not nice, but if it doesn't look like someone who is of their ilk, they won't buy it because they'll, th they'll remember what's wrong sooner than they'll remember what's right. Okay. Mm. Great. Thank you. Anybody else have some questions for Christopher at this point? I still have a few, but I would love to go ahead and open up a little bit. I would like to ask a question. Sure. Um, so what if you yourself are not part of this luxurious market and um, are tapping into it in your business? Do you have advice for how to work with clients at that level besides communication that you mentioned and a few other things, but just in general, what would your advice be for a situation like that? My first advice, by the way, I'm sorry, call me Chris, please. I, I, <laughs> I try to switch that, but I couldn't do it quick enough. The, the, I, I go by Chris. I'm not, Thank you, Chris. You're welcome. First off, you can't be a poser. Now, you, you don't want to pretend like you're one of them. You're not. You're there to serve them. Uh, Marty Collins, who owned a, uh, he passed away a couple of years ago, but he tells a great story. He served Fortune and cloth families, uh, in, including the, the uh, Walton family. And even though Marty was extraordinarily wealthy, he, he knew there was a difference between him and his clients. So as a servant, uh, you don't want to act like you're one of them. Uh, so that would be my first piece is always recognize it's okay to not be one of them. They don't think you are, so don't pretend like you are. Uh, the secondly is you can hone your skills in such a way that you move there. Um, so so I, I don't want to say this personally, but come on, you can do anything you want to. You, 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 you're an attractive, articulate individual. Go get involved with philanthropies. Share values with them so that when they need something, they may hire you. They'll think of you. Um, I, you know, I'm involved with the private estate industry. Go meet estate managers. Go, go, find, go find them and, and introduce yourself. Uh, it, this is not, um, you know, we're, we don't have aristocracy in this country. It's not like that we'll be looked down upon. They, they, most of them come from the middle class. Go get involved, meet them. And start interfacing with them at any every opportunity you have. Mm -hmm. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Marissa. Pamela had a question. She said, what do you feel the age range of the top 1% to 3% is now? 
really good question. And it's a good question because there's this difference between baby boomers who made a lot of money and are just learning to live that life of abundance and their children who were raised with it. And it's just how they live. So don't assume, and I don't have the hard numbers in front of us, assume it's all over the place. And um, so, so, you know, look at your market and look at what you feel comfortable with and then go after it. Um, new money is particularly interested in things that are cool. Older money may less likely be interested in uh, cool stuff. They, they want to live a life that's comfortable. In Palm Beach, when I first came to South Florida, when I, this time, um, Palm Beach was full of, if you will, blue bloods. And it was all about old money. Uh, today, 15 years later, it's not at all. It, it's probably 50-50. And most of the businesses in Palm Beach will tell you it's the new money that spends it, not the old money. Uh, the old money was 65 before, and now they're 80. The new money is 45 and just want to live in a beautiful place. Mm-hmm. So don't be afraid of that, um, you know, of the younger audience. I, I think you may find it's more profitable for you. Mm, interesting. Another question. Can you define discrete or expand on that? Sure. Um, be private. Be humble. Don't. So, so someone I'm close to had an argument with their designer. The designer said, we're going to get you an Arc Digest. And my, my daughter, if you will, said, no, you're not because you can't take pictures. And she said, well, you have to. So the first three conversations were about taking images. The fourth was about not employing her anymore. You, you have to recognize people are discreet and they don't want images of, your, uh, of, your, um, of their home taken. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in a designer in LA, and I wish I knew the name. I, I learned about them somewhere, looked them up. They had no images on their website. Uh, we had a client a couple of years ago who, because of who she served, had no images. She didn't even think about taking pictures uh, that were professionally done. If she had a client, she could show them privately. So counterintuitively, by saying you treat your clients with privacy and you're discreet, you in fact or telling them how you will treat them and you become more attractive to those who live private lives, which is increasingly the majority of them. Was anybody here for the high point panel that I did uh, a couple, I guess months ago now? Uh, I asked Corey Damon Jenkins this question and he had a great answer. And it was, I tell them that I'm a new designer and I'm young and would you please allow me to do so? And he said, they all feel for me. Yeah, we'll do that. And, and I know you're thinking, because I said, there's so much money, 8,100 designer, new designer. And he said, well, they allow me to show their images. Uh, the other designers on the other hand didn't, didn't uh, push it. And um, one of them was Michelle um, Workman, who many of you know, she's been a client a long time. And, you know, Michelle has done a lot of, a lot of celebrities, but she didn't push it. It's it's that respect for privacy. And so each of you have to find your own way with that. Uh, but I, I my guess is a very large percent of designers in the luxury space don't show a lot of their best work. And, and by saying that online, it again reinforces who you are. 
Interesting. That, that makes me wonder, I, you're probably familiar with Jay Peterman. Yes, that of course. It's mm -hmm. a brand where, and one of the things I love about going to their website is the stories that they tell. And I'm wondering in a situation where you can't show an image, if you can tell the story and maybe it's a little bit more general and I'm just throwing it out as an idea because I think in a situation like this, Jay Peterman tells this beautiful story and makes you want to read every single word that's on the website because of the way it draws you in and the story arc and the, the way that the words are crafted is just beautiful. So what if someone did that, if they can't show the images? Absolutely. Uh, narratives are a pillar of luxury. It's why Cartier still talks about the aviator who wanted a watch on his wrist and why they invented that. Like Terry Hermes is still a leather company back when they made saddles for kings and queens. So yeah, the, the narratives are very important. We can go back further. Well, Jay Peterman has been around a long time. Do you remember when Design Within Reach, they knocked off everyone, but they had these beautiful stories about the products they were knocking off. So yes, absolutely. I think that's a, a brilliant idea, Gail. Thank you. Hmm. Thank you. Um, okay, and a couple of other questions and then I'll open it up again to the group. What should our designers be reading? What blogs, what websites, what types of things should they be acquainting themselves with so that they are better informed to be able to serve this ultra, ultra affluent market? Sure. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of, I can tell you what I read. I read Wall Street Journal every day. I, I read Luxury Daily every day. Uh, Pam Danziger is my business partner, so I certainly read everything she writes. Mm -hmm. uh, Clotera Pie is my favorite author, outside of Pam. Uh, are many of you reading Clotera Pie? Uh, mm -hmm. he, he, he ascribes a code to every product, and he, it's the key it's to selling. So, for example, luxury, globally, the code is hand. It's things that are made by hand. Mm -hmm. In the United States, the code is civilian stripes. Becomes a civilian stripe when they have a luxury product. Uh, in other words, they're telling others they've earned this appellation. So you can go through this. By the way, coffee, for example, is um, is smell because we all were raised. Many of us were raised growing up and laying in bed in, on Saturday morning, and our parents are brewing coffee, and we smell it. It's the first, you know sense we have on a Saturday morning with our parents. So all of these different pieces uh, come together. So look for the codes that will, uh, that will reinforce with your clients. Going back to clues, what are the clues that you get serving them? So th th those would be the four I, I would throw out. There's certainly others. I, I, I don't read a lot of blogs. And I don't have time for most uh, podcasts. Mm-hmm. I may be too impatient. I apologize. <laughs> I put it on 2x. At least you can speed it up. So that's yes. Great. <laughs> this one, of course, is worth listening to. <laughs> <laughs> I think this one needs to be at half speed so that we can get all the details. Okay. Line. Thank you. Certainly. And so let me ask you, if you would, please um, tell us how to spell that last person's name so that we are able to look that up. Sure. It's Dr. Clotaire. C-L-O-T-A-I-R-E, 
Rapai, R-A-P-A-I-L-L-E. Okay. He's almost mystic-like. I, he spoke for me once, and I've been through one of his imprinting sessions. Mm. Philosophically, he goes through, he will tell you. So, for example, one of his terms is intellectual alibi. Most mm. people will tell you what they think you want to hear, not the truth. So when people say, I heard about this, I heard about you from a referral, that's not necessarily true. They just don't know what else to tell you because they don't remember. I don't know what I had for breakfast yesterday, but if you asked me, I'd come up with something. I, and, and most people will do that because they're frankly kind. And, and, and so you, you want to be found in such a way that uh, people remember you. That goes back to the reptilian brain which remember subliminally, I, I can't explain it. I'm not that bright, but, but read his book, uh, read his books. Uh, they're great. Mm. Global code is his newest and I'd highly recommend it. I'll put that on my list. I will definitely download that immediately. Okay. <laughs> so the, my have one last question and then I definitely want to open it up to the group again, but what types of firms would be good networking partners for uh, to Reese's clientele. Sure. Um, the Private Service Alliance mm -hmm. is just getting started. Um, it, its former company was Domestic Estate Management Company. It was since bought its Private Service Alliance. And um, they right now, and I think this will change, but they right now have a system of over 2,000 estate managers who you can write and introduce yourself. So, I think that'll change once they have more members, but you literally can access the 2000 wealthiest people in the world through them. Mm. Uh, so that's kind of cool right now. Um, what else? You know, that would be my, uh, my first go-to, mm. uh, the Institute of, um, classical architecture. Uh, I think of it the best of the best, uh, you want to get in front of architects. Uh, to me, that's very, very powerful. Uh, th those are the two that strike me. A any organization that's philanthropic, if, if you're passionate about horses, get involved with horses. If you're passionate about whatever it might be, you will find benefactors who are involved and will appreciate that you share, match the same values. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Wow. So much gold in this conversation. I hope but, you all got I, a lot. I can tell you a funny story to that. Please. Uh, they used to be my client. It's called the um palm beach civic association when you think of palm beach civic association you think but these the executive board are the wealthiest people in the world and you can go to a meeting with them if you want to learn more about the preservation of palm beach and so you want to sit next to the former vice chairman of general electric he's there in fact bob wright is former president of NBC is the president of the organization and everybody is there from the Koch brothers to Bob Vila to all the wealthy individuals, not the celebrities. I don't think Jimmy Buffett's there, uh, but, or Rod Stewart, but all of these individuals are engaged in their community uh, in a way that it's very public. And yet most people go to the chamber, which I adore the chamber, and, uh, but that's where those who serve them, you can go sit next to them, show that you care. I'll tell you a funny Jimmy Buffett story because we have this idea of who Jimmy Buffett is, but G Mr. Buffett is actually very involved in the Palm Beach Society. And if you go to Palm Beach uh, Daily News, 
and look him up. You'll find him singing God Bless America to a nonprofit. Now, that's not, that's off brand for Jimmy Buffett. But you know what? He's just like the rest of us. And he's grateful to be here. So you can find these organizations. It's just different than the ones we're normally used to. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, since we have a few minutes, as you're all thinking of other questions to ask Chris, I would love to know more about the services you provide, if you wouldn't mind sharing with us. Sure. We're a marketing company. Um, it, it's our, our job is to find ways for you, you, our clients to reach high net and ultra high net worth individuals. Uh, and we look for opportunistic buys. So, for example, we have one client who um, who uh, advertises in, and, and I guess all of you know, there's a lot of local publications today. So you can be in the local publication of Arc Digest, my full page ad, and our clients do routinely for about $1,200 in any given market. Um, for Seasons Magazine, our clients are advertising uh, in their publication um, in their just their markets. And then what we do is we will, in their market again, uh, we can trace people who have a Four Seasons uh, app on their phone. Uh, you can do the same thing with Four Seasons. Four Seasons is um, residences and hotels. Ritz-Carlton is just residences. So you can advertise just to those individuals who have these apps on their phone. And then we overlay it with a $10 million net worth. So you're hitting a very heady audience. We have another client who only wants those who have cryptocurrency on there and have a $10 million net worth. So there's all these different ways uh, in Naples. Most of the private clubs have um, <laughs> apps because this is how they make their tea times. So you can do that. And so, for example, Ocean Reef. Anybody here from Key West? From the excuse me, the Keys or South Miami? Uh, so, Ocean Reef is an extraordinary golf course, a, a club in northern Naples, northern Keys, and um, we have clients who target Ocean Reef members in Michigan. So, it's out of season, and if you have money, you're not in the Keys right now. So, you this designer targets Ocean Reef in Michigan. And with a $10 million net worth, because she wants their northern homes. Now that will shift back to the south when they move south. So it's, we can trace about any app you want and then overlay with $10 million net worth. Or may, maybe you want people with children in middle school because you relate to those individuals. You can do that. You can overlay with income, cars. They, man, there's just so many ways to target people. Maybe you want to own a club. And you just target everybody who goes to the club and they see your ads or sales office or homes listed for sale. There's so many ways to target these high net worth individuals that, that it makes print look silly. Uh, it's just, that's just isn't effective anymore. By the way, the cost to do these type of things is, is very low. So you take a publication, most local publications may have, may print 30,000, but you can, depending upon your tactic, you can target 30,000 ads hitting the exact people you want to hit for $300, $400. So it's much less expensive. You hit them multiple times so you can show a lot of images and that's the best practice in digital. Uh, we have designers showing 25 different images at the same time. 
Mm. Constantly want to stay in front of them. And that's how you become a brand that's well known. Mm. Love that. So fascinating. I uh, really enjoyed every single bit of this because I can see that it's a mindset shift about the approach of what we need to do in terms of marketing, but also in terms of the core of the brand for each of the designers that are here that want to serve that market. And a lot of the things that you talked about are within reach that everyone can do. And then it's also just deciding if this is what you want to go after. It really is a decision about what it is you're willing to do to get there. And I've watched some amazing designers within our tribe of people um, really accomplish major things. And maybe they weren't serving that ultra, ultra high end at the beginning, but within some period of time, they, they naturally gravitate that direction. And it is something that is um, that you can take on, you can learn, and you can get better at doing. So I think this is all really helpful and very um, interesting. So what other questions do you all have? I know, Cody, you always have questions. Yeah, you caught me off guard here. Um, <laughs> I guess my question is, um, you know, I, I've had, been fortunate to meet some high net worth individuals and to retain them, I hear, you know, we've got to keep their interest. I have a little bit different scenario where it's, they want to be a little more involved than I expect them to be. Do you have any advice to, as to how to talk to them about that? If they want to be involved, involve them. Just treat them with respect and watch their time. So no, that, you know, that means they like you. So that is, uh, you know, absolutely. That's a great thing. I mean, be grateful, right? The um, oh yeah, I'm I'm very grateful. It, it sometimes um, they're used to uh, you know controlling the show a lot with their business, their life, or whatever their money is power to them. And so sometimes, like you were talking earlier, and and I came to the party a little late. Sorry about controlling your brand and sometimes not making the right choices. You know, that's a, a, a topic. Sometimes it gets breached um you don't want to compromise your brand or your look and they they don't have a problem doing that well they don't see it as you do but but yes you have to be uh very very you know know your limits and and, and ensure that you treat your brand as it's sacred because it is but they'll appreciate that too they get it you know um yeah about 10 years ago Louis Vuitton went around every store in the country and literally fired every salesperson uh, through private shoppers who had a sense of entitlement. And it was all about a, you know, friendliness and serving others. And they went through a complete turnover. I, I know Louis Vuitton may not be the best example of a luxury brand, but they had the most elasticity and they LVMH certainly gets it. So, um, yeah, it's just serve them however you can and, and, and appreciate their involvement, I guess. What questions have we not asked so far that you think we should have asked? <laughs> I know that's you know, a one. <laughs> you're pretty good, Gail. I mean, you, you, uh, you're, in, you're on top of this more than most, uh, or anybody else. But be careful of your belief of how famous you are. 
it's very easy in design to be seen in a magazine and assume everybody sees it. It's very easy to be on social media, very easy to have this cognitive bias that because everyone I know knows me, everyone knows me. Uh, we fall into that trap so easily uh, because we're so engaged in design. But there's no celebration of design amongst the affluent. It's simply a tool to living a life of abundance. So keep your brand out there and, um, and never stop. And by the way, some of these uh, questions now are coming up. Have we covered opinions on Google ads? Um, no, I don't think we have. Uh, but I, I, don't, I don't do a lot with Google ads. Our ads are display ads. So they follow wherever the client goes. I, I can tell you that every one of my clients who's done Google ads in the past has switched to what we do. Uh, but that would be a cognitive bias because I don't know who isn't my client that didn't. So it's just manage it. Manage, manage and ensure you're hitting your best prospects if you're going to do Google ads. Because in many cases, uh, you're not. You're hitting the mass market. Mm. Um, one of the things I've learned, we've gone through a lot of different companies. Constantly, we're constantly testing to see who's effective. And most companies, um, I'd be happy to, uh, most companies don't, um, don't like the luxury space because they just want to blow. You know what? Reading is a terrible thing. Uh, Gail, I'm going to let you uh, transfer the questions. Maybe uh, they just want to blow out ads. They don't care about the effectiveness of it. Mm -hmm. So you want to be very careful that the company, we have developed algorithms that are specifically for uh, high net worth clients. And one of the things we've learned, they're specifically not for the mass market. So we change them when I have, a, and I do have mass clients. Uh, you mentioned floor covers. I still have carpet one dealers. I, I don't use the same algorithms for them. But you want to manage these things and, and, and know that there are best practices Mm -hmm. Don't just send it out to everybody because you'll just get anybody. And so just that's what you want to be careful of. Mm. Excellent. Okay, so, Gail, what are the other questions? <laughs> my pleasure. Okay, can you explain display ads? It just shows up. When you read Wall Street Journal, they show up on the right side. That's a display ad. When you, okay, here's one. I don't, I don't have my glass on, so I can't tell. See, that's a, something I was reading, and I took a screenshot. Mm -hmm. That's a display ad. If you go to PreciseLuxuryMarketing.com, you will see a whole series, and I don't know why I saved that. Um, you'll see a whole series of ads uh, that different companies have. Um, that's, you know, here's another one, it's black. It's not particularly nice, but for some reason I saved it. You know what, there's no image. I wanted to have examples of ads that had no images, I would highly recommend you have an image on yours, uh, but I wanted to see what it looked like. So, mm -hmm. I, so I save them before they disappear. Um, so Chris, excuse me. Is Are those the ads that show up when you're online doing yes. anything, listening to something, watching a video or reading, and, and these are the things that just pop up there on the right side? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Consider them planting seeds. You know, okay. it's just planting seeds uh, of your brand. Okay. And, and through the course of time, people recognize you. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for asking. And before I get to Matthew, who has a question for you, um, is that also retargeting or is that separate from retargeting? Retargeting 
is when someone comes to your website and you put a cookie on their device and then they start seeing your ads. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that works remarkably well. We do a lot of that. Mm -hmm. um, when it first started, we did very little of it because we didn't find it was effective and we watch click-through rates very carefully. Mm -hmm. But in the last six months, it's just our click-through rate. We're getting people back to websites. And I, I'd highly recommend you do that mm -hmm. uh, because if they came once, you want them to remember you. Uh, it's particularly important if you transact online. I know most of you don't, but uh, if you transact online, if somebody drops their cart, you want to bring them back, remind them that you're, uh, that you're, uh, that they were there. Excellent. All right, Matthew, why don't you unmute and ask your question? Hi, Chris. Hey, hey Matthew. Uh, so you've, um, this has been fascinating. Uh, I've, I've taken a bunch of notes uh, and I'm, uh, you keep coming back to the power of your brand and your brand is sacred. And, and uh, we're in the process of kind of clarifying and, and possibly rebranding, but we're just in the very initial stages of that. And I wonder if there's anything that you would recommend. You know, we've been reading a book called The Story Brand uh, that Gail mm -hmm. recommended. And um, I don't know if there are any firms that you would recommend or resources for, for branding. Um, there's a thousand of them. Um, but you know your, and, and they're expensive, by the way. Uh, you, you know your brand better than anybody. And you're not reinventing the wheel. Look at the brands that relate to you and interpret them for your own brand. You, you know, your Gail's tribe of 30 is so powerful and you don't compete with most of them. And um, I, I, would, I, I would definitely, you know, study the market, see what you think is effective. And look, if you give me a call, go to Precise Luxury Marketing, because uh, I, I don't want to promote myself too much. But, but I'm happy to help you. I'm happy to, I'm blunt. So if I don't like something, I'll, I'll tell you if you want to hear what I don't like. Just like told, you know, shared with you, Lisa, which I loved. Yeah, yeah uh, would, love, would love your input. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. By the way, you, your point and your positioning and, I, and Matthew, I've not been to your website, but um, it's really important because those first impressions matter. I, I think, I think it's. I don't think I'm being unfair when I tell when I say that 99.9% .9 of people who visit designers' websites don't go any further, and, and this is the bane of the industry. And we have to address this in such a way that we we, uh, we turn others on. By the way, this is one of the reasons I mentioned civilian stripes. Why having other brands uh, on your website? Because it tells people who you are. So if you're a member of the um, Institute of Catholic, of Catholic, I'm sorry, Institute of Classical Architecture and Art, have that on your website. If you're a member of the Private Service Alliance, have it on your website. If you're a member of the Home Trust, have it on your website. These are all things that tell people who you hang with. It, it, it let others define who you are because everything, every touch point is a clue to who you are. We started what's known as the uh, leaders in luxury and design. And the only, the only the two rules in leaders in luxury and design. Uh, one is you can't, um, you don't sell yourself. You share who you are because you match values. In fact, Gail, I'm going to ask you and Aaron 
if you would become leaders of luxury and design. I would love for you to be part of it. And it, it's about telling people who you are because people will like you for who you are. Uh, everything else is just what everybody else does. It, it's, it's the other roles you can ask any question you like, by the way. So a- anyway, it, it is, um, that, that's, that, that's my answer. Use as many touch points as you can. Very helpful. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Thank you very much for being here. I, I love that because it just that the, uh, the what you said about um, do, sharing the things that that you do that that fascinate and enchant people. I think that's such a great way. Uh, to me, that's an inspiring way to think about social media or posts or things that I want to share because I get blocked around like what, what to put out there, what is posing, what is, and instead of um, posing, it's just sharing what we're passionate about, what we love. And there's so many beautiful, amazing things that we love and that we want to share. Right. If you read my leaders in luxury uh, interview, you'll know more about me than my closest friends. Hmm. And um, so I I would, uh, I, I definitely, you know, people, you know, I wrote it so people would like me more. Uh, but, you know, otherwise I don't tell people I was a coal miner, right? But but that's what you do if you want a high paying job and you're raised in Pittsburgh. So, you know, find these other things that you went from coal mining to luxury. How did that happen? Well, the story is there. What is your story? Share it. So cool. Thank you. You're very welcome. Well, Matthew, among all of our group here, has a very interesting story. So um, I hope you two connect afterwards. I'm sure you will. Please call. Um, It's funny because most of us lead lives, our personal lives or our business lives. It's just the nature of being an entrepreneur. And because both of my children are very private, uh, you you don't see pictures uh, of, um, of my children or my grandchildren online. Uh, would I like to show them? Yeah, I'd love people to know that I really, really love my family. That's the most important thing in the world to me. But it's private. Uh, and I've been told I'd excommunicate it from the family if I do. Um, but I don't talk about politics. Either jump into politics or get into politics. Now, fortunately, I happen to hate politics. So that's easier for me. But I never endorse anything. I never do anything that might be a turnoff to a prospect. Because it's just not me. And you have to do the same thing. Or jump in with both feet. And let people know, hey, this is who I am. Boom, I hope you like it. Okay, wonderful. Well, we have three more questions, and I want to be mindful of your time. So we have a question about satellite marketing. If we were to do this, how long does it take for us to begin seeing engagement? You'll see engagement immediately. We get people to your website in a week. It is, um, it's the website's job to get them to you. Uh, it, it depends upon your tactic. If we buy third-party data, it takes about a week, maybe longer. Uh, but if someone came to me with an event on Saturday night, we could we, we we target events too. We could target that event. It's not too late to hit them. So you'll start seeing people come to your website immediately. Uh, it, it's, it's a matter of hitting the right people. So you have to make sure it's the right material that's on your website so it attracts them to actually pick up the phone or email. Okay, right. we have a couple other questions and Lisa, I'll come back to you. Okay, okay I'll wait. Yeah, yeah, so the yeah, question is, is there, to, is there a way to have our PR team target high network, net worth individuals through 
publications? What are the 1% reading? That was my question. And thank you, George, for correct. It's yes. network. I just mean course, network. Yeah. yeah, no worries. <laughs> um, so we do work with a PR team and we we have, you know, a lot of publications that go through probably each week, which is helpful. But I also want to make sure that our investment is really going to the right audience. And we have a lot of new clients that will call and say, you know, a lot of our PR and publications really do speak to the legitimacy of our brand, which I think is great. But I also want to make sure that we're targeting the right audience and also increasing, you know, to the target audience that we want. Sure. Um, I, I did a, um, I moderated three panels of different estate managers. And I asked each of them the exact same question. What publications do your estate manager, do your principles, as they would call them, uh, read? And I said, Art Digest got zero. I said, um, I said a couple other shelter publications. And the only publication that they don't consider garbage and what happens for an estate manager is if a magazine's left out, they throw it away. And the only publication unanimously, at least in Miami, was Rob Report. Rob Report was the one publication. And that was a surprise to me because we kind of diss that publication because it's so far out, but it's, it's very highly read. Now, I also interviewed the president of FlexJet. And I asked the same question. And he said, there's two publications, uh, Wall Street Journal, if it's new. Now, I remember at a jet company, they are, um, you have poser magazines that say we're in all the uh, FBOs. And so they get picked up. But the only people that go into an FBO are the uh, pilots and the co-pilots. And they don't pick up magazines because they just get thrown away. But what he said, and they do five legs a day, right? So if Wall Street Journal is there, if it's in good shape, they'll keep it. If um, Elite Traveler magazine is a publication they may keep, every other publication is considered garbage and gets thrown away if somebody leaves it on a plane. So um, Wall Street Journal, Elite Traveler, and Rob Report are the three that are highly read or most likely to get in front of a, a high net or ultra high net worth individual. Now, those publications are expensive, right? So since we talked about satellite marketing, what we do is we target individuals that have FlexJet, NetJets, XO, Sentient, and on and on and on, Blade apps on their phone. And then we buy third-party data to ensure they have a $10 million net worth, and then we target them. So there are ways that you can do that. And I'm probably not the only one who does this, but there are ways for you to target these individuals so that you're seen. Thank you. That was very helpful. You're very welcome. Thank you for asking. Okay. So Gail's internet did drop. So um, I will Hi, take it from here. Hey there. Um, so Pamela had a question, um, thoughts on personal life on social media, question mark. And Pamela, it looks like you're actually on the on your phone here on the screen now. So if you want to unmute and add to that, you're welcome to. There we go. Um, I've been told mixed things about, you know, I see a lot of people put everything they do personally out there on Instagram or Facebook or, or whatever. Um, I never post, like you said, I would never post anything political or controversial, especially I'm in Washington, D.C. for the most part. Um, but do you think that our clients want to or people that are potential clients want to identify with us more as a person versus the designer image? No. In a word, no. <laughs> I like your bluntness. <laughs> I mean, we serve them. 
everything you do should be about the, your sophistication or your street credibility. Uh, they don't care what you had for lunch. And that wastes their time. And you force them to go through stuff that don't matter to them. So if someone looks you up, it should be about you professionally or something about you that's so compelling that they will like you. And I know that people would disagree with that, and that's okay. I just, they have only so much time, and treating personal stuff doesn't matter. Or where you were last week. In fact, um, one of our clients is Gavin DeBecker, which is a substantial, the largest private um, security firm in the country. You don't hear about them, except remember Jeff Bezos did dumb stuff? Gavin DeBecker came out on that. But... If, if your family, they watch social media very carefully. If, if a child of somebody uh, they protect says where they are, I mean, all of these things are extraordinarily private. These are the lives they lead. And it's nobody's beeswax, where they are, what they're doing. And if they don't share, then you shouldn't either. All right, we've got one last question here since we're at the top of the hour uh, from Georgia. And Georgia, you're welcome to unmute and ask this just directly if you'd like. Hi, Chris. Um, thank Hi, you so Georgia. much. Hi there. Uh, thank you so much for this uh, really insightful uh, conversation this afternoon. Um, I was wondering. I was wondering if you think that um, that you can successfully mix uh, catering to you know this extreme luxury market that we've been talking about. Um, with also kind of the common luxury that we're all really kind of accustomed to? Um, I, uh, and if so, how? Or do you think they're sort of decidedly different groups of people? Um, I'm curious about that. Sure, I think you can. I, I, I don't, but I would be very careful with my images. Look, you're going to have a certain amount. Uh, back when Richard Baker was doing research on this, he said it was the 15% who may be turned off by something. Uh, but just remember, everything leaves a clue, and you, the aspirational market is bigger than the uh, ultra-high net worth market. Mm -hmm. So if you show the ultra-high net worth market and you show the extraordinary, uh, you will attract the aspirational, which is not a bad thing. So I mean, if you're a jet company, the answer is no. But as a designer, there are certainly people out there with $2 million homes that are only worth $4 million, only worth, but they, they will have the capacity to, to retain you. So, no, I would not give that up. I, I, I think you can have them both. By showing one, you get the other. By showing both, you lose one. Mm. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, to, to that point, you will find most luxury brands have perfume to introduce their brand at a lower price point. So it's um, most furniture stores, by the way, show the smallest uh, X furniture and uh, sell bigger pieces. If you go into an RH who is doing a really good job right now, they show the biggest pieces and they owe the uh, own the lighting, it do really well with lighting but then they'll sell smaller pieces. So by starting at what they think is the top, forgetting what the quality of the product is, they are buying uh, a, a very high net worth audience. And I, I would have said that wasn't true, except one of our, uh, one of my good friends was Greg uh, Norman's uh, estate manager for a very long time. And when he left, he shared with me that Greg Norman's wife 
hangs out at RH. He can't go out in public. He's got his club. But his wife goes to RH every week for lunch. So it's not always as crystal clear as, as we'd like it to be. Right? This this they're out there. Uh, that's the great thing about living in a democracy rather than aristocracy. Well, Chris, thank you so much for your time and all of your information that you so gener generously shared today. We appreciate you and thank you board members for coming to the call today. Um, I send Gail's love. She's had quite thank the week you. with uh, an air conditioner refrigerator going out and now it looks like her internet uh, dropped. So hopefully we can uh, get that all figured out for her in the next couple hours. But we'll see you all soon. Tuesday. I know. I know. She's like, it's hot and the, the food's not cold and all the things so um we'll get her figured out i think that they've they may have had to turn off her electricity or something and try oh. to fix some things so all right we'll see you guys later thanks so much thank you. you're welcome thank bye. you everyone for being here i'm like you're welcome bye-bye <laughs>so much to Chris Ramey for joining us on the podcast. We hope that you learned a lot about fascinating and enchanting your luxury clients and how to deliver what they want out of their interiors. We'd love to hear what you thought of this episode. So feel free to reach out and leave a comment on our social media. We're located over on Instagram with the handle at gail.dobie. And we'll see you soon for the next episode with executive coach Tim Fulkerson. As part of our ongoing efforts to support our community of designers, we're conducting the 2022 Interior Designer Survey on fees, salaries, and competing for talent. The purpose of this survey is to help our design community understand the current state of the industry, the individuals who make up the industry, and the challenges you face as an interior design business owner. We want to hear from you, so please take eight minutes to participate in this survey before July 31st. Go to gildobie.com slash ID survey. Compiled results will be published this fall. Participants will receive an advanced copy of the resulting report and will be entered into a drawing of prizes throughout the duration of the data collection period. And last but not least, please follow us on Instagram at gail.dobie.